0: nice to see you. So we're carrying on a series uh, on the book of Proverbs. So we've been looking at the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, and uh, we're thinking tonight about what the book of Proverbs has to say about friendship. Life is about relationships, we all know that, don't we? Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, uh, family, church community, work colleagues, and we're thinking tonight then about friendship and what we can learn from Proverbs about friendship. We need friends, uh, but we need wisdom, don't we, in terms of who we count as friends, but also wisdom in terms of of us, how we are friends to others. It's not just about how people can be good friends to us. How can we be good friends to other people? And in the Bible, we see some good examples of friendship. There's David and Jonathan in the Old Testament, Jesus and the disciples. And also in the New Testament letters, uh, Paul would sometimes include loving references to those who he ministered alongside and counted as good friends. Proverbs is clear that a few good friends is better than a host of acquaintances. Uh, and it also tells us that, that we need to be careful in choosing our friends. When I was a teenager, uh, one of the last conversations I had with my uh, godfather before I went to university, uh, my godfather's died now, but uh, at the time, uh, I, I had this feeling, this, one of the last times I saw him, that he wanted to sort of impart advice to me. It was one of those times where I just just felt that he wanted to say something important. And I remember him giving me these three bits of advice. I remember that there were three, but I only remember one of them. I think two of them were so obvious. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, great. Uh, But the one that that stuck with me that I remember, he said, choose your friends. And that seemed like an interesting kind of thing, an interesting thing of depth to say. And uh, I, I duly, you know, forgot all about it and went to university and uh, made friends with lots of very inappropriate people. But, uh, but I was very inappropriate as well, so we were all in the same boat. Um, but what I didn't realise was that, that he was quoting a scripture, basically. Proverbs twelve twenty six says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so Proverbs shows us that there are bad friendships, basically a friendship based on sin, or a friendship that results in sin. Proverbs even suggests friendships ought not to be entered into with certain types of people. So it mentions people who have bad tempers, people who speak foolishly, people who rebel against authority, people who are dishonest. Now, before you all freak out, but by the grace of God go all of us. We're all works in progress, aren't we? So this isn't, this isn't a license to kind of write off everyone you know. You probably have to write yourself off as well, wouldn't you? So, so you know, whew. So, But there's some great counsel here about what we want to avoid. Friendships can have a negative impact, can't they? Supposed friends can lead us astray. Even well-intentioned friends can provide false comfort and give bad advice. Remember Job's friends made his suffering even worse and displeased God by their terrible advice. People we thought were friends can desert us when our friendship doesn't seem to profit them anymore. Remember the prodigal son, when all the money ran out, the wine ran out, the fun ran out, no one wanted to know him anymore. And actually in the book of Proverbs, it, it kind of, it, it mentions this. It talks about how wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. It talks about many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of one who gives gifts. So again, the book of Proverbs points to these kind of shallow motivations for fostering those kind of Friendships. So that's the bad news. What's the good news? What's a good friendship? What does the book of Proverbs say about good friends? And before I go into that, I think, it, you know, this is a good time, again, to mention Matty. And just, again, just such a, uh, my heart goes out to everyone from Matty's family here and friends. And I know I've managed to speak to quite a few of you. Uh, but Matty came and he sat up here at the front left. And um, it strikes me that Matty was just a re- not only a really great bloke, but a really good friend to people. And uh, even two Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, uh, Matty came to something here that I was doing on The Prophetic. And um, he really blessed my wife, actually, who, who they didn't know each other at all. And he just felt in this sort of prayer moment, he, he said to my wife, he said, I just really feel God is saying that you're a really good mother. And it just really touched my wife. And it's true, she is a really good mother. So it was encouraging, but it was also intuitive. I think in that moment, he was just hearing God's heart for that person. So he was just a great encourager. And um, on last Sunday, actually, was it last Sunday? We, we had this thing where people could come early to the service, and people would try and hear God for you, that they'd try and hear what God was wanting to say and encourage you. And Matty came along to that because I'd asked him to. But even after being here for half an hour, and he was really excited about it and really enjoyed it, there was someone he wanted to pick up to bring them to the service. So he'd, like, he'd only been here like 20-odd minutes. He drove away, picked someone up, and came back again. And again, that was the kind of the person that I experienced Matty to be, that he was a guy that was prepared to pick people up, bring them along, encourage people to come to church, come alongside people. And even just when I'm thinking about it, I remember a conversation I had with him um, in December in the run-up to Christmas. And some people, when they kind of challenge the commercialism of Christmas, it sounds a bit try-hard and contrived, but, but, but Matty was like, yeah, yeah, Christmas is good. He said, but you know, what I really like about Christmas is I just really want to come alongside people and support them. You know, my heart is to kind of get amongst the poor and help people and that's what I want to do at Christmas. And he totally meant it. I was like, you know, you're a really great bloke, aren't you? So just just to celebrate the fact that that this is kind of a tribute to Matty, what I'm going to say now, Um, I think it's apt that we're talking about friendship and thinking about what is a good friend and I think Matty was a great friend to people and so bless all of Matty's friends tonight. You are so welcome. You're always welcome here and uh, hopefully some of us can become friends uh, as a consequence as well. So what does Proverbs say about friendship? Well, true friendship is loving. Proverbs shows us that true friendship is based on love. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. As in all things, we need to be motivated by love. So in friendship, we need to be motivated by love. What does this look like? What does this look like in practice? Well, another proverb, Proverbs 17, verse nine says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So love enables friendship because it, it releases forgiveness and mercy and protects against grudges. How many friendships can be ruined by offense and grudges and you know holding offense? And so love enables us to celebrate good friendship because it helps us to be forgiving people merciful people self-aware people that know that by the grace of God go all of us we all make mistakes what else does love look like in practice well we've got that amazing hymn uh, ode to love in 1 Corinthians 13 which gives us some idea so think about this in terms of friendship 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 7 love is patient love is kind it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Would you like a friend like that? <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? That's what we're after with loving friendship. And of course, the best example is given us by Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate friend. He's the one that loved us to death and beyond, the one who hung on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to the God of heaven who made us for friendship. Jesus died so that we could become the friends of God. And so he did that for us. John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's what Jesus did. So love is a foundation. But I'd like to share another kind of four points about what a good friendship is. And all of these are based on uh, verses, specific proverbs, uh, from Proverbs chapter 27. And so feel free to open up Proverbs 27 as I refer to them. But I'm going to read them anyway. Um, so, but these are points based on specific proverbs about friendship in that chapter so the first point I'd like to say is that true friendship is encouraging and life-giving. True friendship is encouraging and life-giving. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says this, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. The heartfelt advice of a friend is compared to perfume and incense that brings joy to the heart. Sounds good, doesn't it? Heartfelt advice is different from just someone giving you their opinion. A true friend walks alongside you and is invested. Their advice is heartfelt because you matter to them. And as such, whatever you're talking about matters because it matters to you and you matter to them. I remember once hearing a person talk about how it can be important sometimes, especially in the midst of heated debates that we sometimes entered into, to make a point of choosing relationship over being right. Choosing relationship over being right. How many horrible conversations and situations could we have avoided if we'd have chosen relationship over being right in certain moments? And so heartfelt advice means humbling ourselves, We need to be humble if we want to be true friends who give heartfelt advice that's pleasant perfume, not stinky, horrible stuff. And so we need to make it about grace. We've been singing about grace. And we need to not make it all about us. We might get it wrong sometimes, but if we want to be true friends, we need to honour the person that we're giving heartfelt advice to. And honouring them means not orientating everything that we talk about back to us it becomes about us. It's being other-oriented, being about the other person. Secondly, true friendship is honest. Again, going back to Proverbs 27, but jumping back a couple of verses, I thought I'd start with a really nice one. Proverbs 27, verse six. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. When I became a Christian at university, uh, I used to, me and some Christian friends that I used to live with, used to misquote this verse all the time at one another, and combined it with Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8, which says, it's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than listen to the Song of Fools, which basically meant whenever we wanted to have a go at one another, we'd quote this, so you know, it'd be like, mate, you didn't do the washing up last night, and remember that the rebuke of a friend is better than the laughter of fools. So, um, So we used to kind of uh, basically. <laughs> not really what Solomon or whoever was uh, thinking about, but never mind. True Christian friendship can't be built on deception. And even if the truth hurts sometimes, if it's given in love, and when I say that, I really mean that. If it's genuinely given in love with a bucket load of sensitivity, self-awareness, humility, and a determination not to be an annoying job's worth. So, um, you know, all of that is just a given for, uh, for, for trying to correct a friend in love. And actually, there's a a verse that you might have heard, again, misappropriated. Ephesians 4, 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. If anyone ever comes up to you and says, I'm afraid I need to speak the truth to you in love, that means it's definitely not going to be true and definitely not going to be given in love. So either tell them to shut up or run away. That's uh, what I see. But, but. If we are to live out, it is in the Bible, if we are to live out Ephesians 4, 15 as it was intended, you know, properly, then actually the Holy Spirit can use this vital combination of truth and love to build our character. So actually, that is part of true friendship, that God wants us uh, to to bless one another in such a way that we actually grow, grow in holiness, grow in our appreciation of of God's values and how we're being honed to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, who wasn't a job's worth at all, uh, but also, you know, was completely holy. Holy is a very attractional thing. Sometimes we think of holiness as a list of do's and don'ts, and, you know, holiness is kind of like, oh, I don't want to go near holiness. Jesus was the most holy person that ever lived and also the most attractive person that ever lived. You know, he hung around with tax collectors and sinners. They couldn't get enough of him. It was attractional holiness that actually called forth a desire to be like that. When you were with Jesus, the holiest person ever, something got inside of you that said, I want to be like that. I don't want to hold on to the sin and darkness anymore. I want, I want the life that you have. In fact, I want you, Jesus. And so actually, holiness isn't a repellent. It's an incredibly attractive thing. It's the thing that motivates you to say, God, I, I just you are everything to me. You are beautiful, and, I, and, and help me to lay down those things that aren't of you, because I, I know now that I want you. You're, you're everything, and I know now that I want what you want for me. And so actually, you know, truth and love together can help us to grow in that way and the proverb highlights that correction given in love is better than insincere expressions of affection it talks about kisses you might you might think of flattery again the wounds of a friend can be trusted if indeed the friend is acting as a friend genuinely because these wounds are meant to correct but an enemy's kisses are deceptive do you remember Judas Judas who sold out Jesus with a kiss and a related point, again, going back to Proverbs 27, 17, it's the same point, it's kind of another verse that kind of makes the same sort of point. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So we could say a true friend has a positive impact on us by, by sharpening us. A blunt pencil is useless, isn't it? But actually, if, if we can be sharpened and we can be more, more effective and so, you know, uh, the impact of a good friend on us can have an effect on us that is inherently positive. You might call a, it must be a healthy clash of personalities or views, perhaps. Constructive criticism between friends. And so it's pro- probably appropriate to say that a true friendship includes both of these things. My last point, based on uh, Proverbs uh, 27.9, the perfume and incense, joy to the heart, heartfelt advice. But that combined with... Uh, those last two verses the wounds of a friend and also the sharpening a true friendship probably combines both doesn't it if we're to live in honesty with one another then there will be times when the advice is heartfelt and it's sweet and it's enjoyable like nice perfume but there'll be other times you think like oh but because it's given in love and it's part of true friendship actually it leads somewhere positive thirdly then true friendship is supportive practical and consistent. That sounds like three points, doesn't it? But I'm going to put them all together. Based on Proverbs 27, verse 10. Again, I'll read it to you. Proverbs 27:10: Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family. And do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. And this verse shows us not just the kind of friends we hope to have, but again, the type of friendship that, that we need to, to kind of be to others, that the onus is on us to be that kind of friend, not forsaking other people. That verse also suggests we shouldn't forsake a friend of the family who we might overlook in search of new friends. We've got, uh, in our family, there's a, a long-standing friend uh, of our family who wasn't my friend particularly, but a friend of uh, other people in my family. But he was always around our family growing up. And um, a few years ago, before I got married, um, he went through some difficult stuff I won't go into. And he contacted me sort of out of the blue and just said, can I just come and stay with you for a bit? And I was like, yeah, yeah, fine, do it. (laughs) And uh, he came and stayed with me for a few days. We went out for coffee and chatted and watched films and hung out. And it just seemed to be what he needed. He just needed a refuge. He needed a safe place. And he associated me with his historic relationship with our family. And, and somewhere in his head he thought, that's a safe place, that's a refuge place. I'm not going to be judged, I can just recover and just be. And so that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit, that we, we, we make ourselves a refuge, a safe place for people. And that might include people that we've had historic connections with, not forsaking even the friend of our family, uh, let alone you know some of the, our own personal friends who you know, we've kind of developed friendships with on our own terms as it were there's a hebrew word which can mean friend or neighbor and actually the biblical ideal shows us that what's true of friends ought to be true of neighbors and so this same proverb that i read out says that when disaster strikes a friend who is available is better than a relative who is not in other words a neighbor nearby is better than a brother who lives far away and so that makes sense on a really practical level It kind of contradicts another proverb, Proverbs 17, 17, which says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. So the inference is that, you know, sometimes blood relations, that, you know, really when the rubber hits the road, you know, however well or not well you get along with each other normally, in those moments of crisis, a brother is made for adversity. But I don't think it's a contradiction of that. It's just the clear practicality that actually when you're in need that the help of a neighbor can be, you know, so, so important. And so we need to cultivate those friendships, don't we? You can't presume a close bond with a neighbor or a friend unless you cultivate those relationships. And when we do cultivate those relationships, we'll find sometimes that there are indeed friends who stick closer than a brother. We've developed really close bonds uh, with friends along the way. And fourthly, true friendship is considerate and thoughtful. My alternative title for this is true friendship is not annoying but I'll, I'll go with the positive true friendship is considerate thoughtful and again back to Proverbs 27 uh, I pointed out that there's a Hebrew word which can mean friend or neighbor so so I'm using this to talk about friendship 27:14 if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning it will be taken as a curse <laughs> so we can see it doesn't just matter what you say but also when why and how you say it. Loud and untimely greetings are not normally appreciated by people. On the surface, this verse appears to be describing a person who comes early and is loud with their so-called blessing, and, and you take it as a nuisance, don't you? It's kind of the equivalent of someone sending you a really nice text message at six in the morning. So, like, your phone makes reverberates next to your bed and kind of stirs you, wakes you up, and basically the message says something like, just thinking about you, have a blessed day. And he's oh, just, like, I'd just rather have been asleep, to be honest. So, um, so again, the, the blessing that is untimely. But one commentator that I read made an interesting point, which I think is not really what the, the proverb is talking about, but I just thought it was interesting enough that I'd say it, and I think it's a helpful point. He talked about a blessing early in the morning is a bit like someone saying something positive to you, but saying it ignor- ignorantly and without actual wisdom, so it's presumptive. So say, for instance, saying something like, I really think God is going to do this for you, and then when it doesn't happen, it feels more like a curse than a blessing. And sometimes our desire to just encourage and chivvy people on, we can sometimes say positive things, not from a place of gut conviction, but just out of a desire to just say something nice or positive, that actually, if it's not yoked with an actual awareness of situational wisdom, uh, can backfire a little bit. Sometimes you might say, like, oh, this is going to be great, and it's not going to be great then the word of wisdom is actually you know what god is with you in this in this difficult place you know god isn't going to kind of make everything feel nice and rosy in this moment but you know what god hung on a cross for you and because he hung on a cross for you he's with you in this moment and actually that's the kind of thing to say than a kind of just speaking from a place that i just really want to say something positive so again we need bless we need to be a blessing which means wisdom doesn't it Proverbs also gives other examples of when friends can be inconsiderate or insensitive. Proverbs 26, 18 to 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. (laughs) It's really extreme, isn't it? Flaming arrows of death, but an inappropriate joke. So not knowing when a joke has gone too far. Proverbs 25, 17 says, Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. That's funny as well. So in other words, imposing ourselves on others. But perhaps I think, you know, the serious point is imposing ourselves on friends when it's convenient for us, but not convenient for them. So again, it's trying to be sensitive, isn't it? It's reading body language sometimes. And sometimes we can impose ourselves on friends when actually they need a bit of space. Proverbs 25 verse 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. So again, being non-intuitive and insensitive to how others feel. True friendship means reading the situation. And, and again, that's like I said, going with your gut. What does your intuition tell you in, in any given moment? And finally, Proverbs sixteen twenty eight: A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. A true friend won't gossip about you. They can keep a confidence and they can control their tongues. So we can see that we need to choose our friends wisely. We need to be good friends to other people. And uh, those verses I picked out from uh, Proverbs 27 said that, you know, in addition to just the general, just be loving. True friendship is loving. But also true friendship is encouraging and life-giving. True friendship is honest. True friendship is supportive, practical, and consistent. True friendship is considerate and thoughtful. But a final point. Needless to say, although I'm going to say it anyway, the greatest friend that a person could ever have is Jesus. Not only is he the best example of loving friendship, but he also invites us to be his friends. Those who follow Jesus and obey him are counted as his friends. And so it says in John 15:15, 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. And to become a friend of Jesus is really easy. It basically means coming into the end of ourselves. All right, it's not that easy after all. Um, But it can be easy, you know, when you realize that all the other things have failed you and you recognize that the world doesn't revolve around you afterwards, uh, after all. And you recognize that you have a need and that need is presented to you in the person of Jesus who isn't only God, but he's just the kindest person that has ever lived. I I say this often, you know, it, atheism is such a, you know, a bleak worldview. But actually, you know, if there was a God, but that God was horrible, that would be quite scary, wouldn't it? But actually, the message of Christianity is there really is a God. He's also the kindest and nicest person that you could ever imagine. That is spectacularly good news, isn't it? And the Christian faith says there really is a God in heaven, and he's really, really, really nice. And so when Jesus invites us to be his friends, it's just the best thing that could ever happen to anyone. And so we come to him and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry where well, I've rejected friendship with you, either out of ignorance. I didn't even know it was on offer, which again is one of the pitfalls of religion. Sometimes we can be religious people. Maybe we've, brought up, we've been brought up going to church or church school, or maybe we've just watched too much of the Vicar of Dibley. I don't know. But, but actually it can be a stumbling block sometimes to think like, oh, been there, done that, worn the teacher that's boring, I don't need that. But actually, it's like so much of that has like nothing to do with Jesus. Christianity on its own terms is basically who Jesus is and what he says. And so Jesus basically gives us this non-religious picture of not just something that you try and do, but actually he, he, he shows you the meaning of life. He shows you what life is really all about. And it's all about knowing him in this world and the next. I know the plans he has for me don't end at the grave. And this, this world, if you like, is just, it's a passing time. But it's preparation for the next life, where we become more fully who we were made to be. Heaven isn't just harps and angels. Heaven is very practical. There will be work for us. You know, when we read the Bible, we read actually what, what Scripture says about heaven. There's more about heaven in the Bible than we think. And actually, we'll have stuff to do, and we'll have relationships. And it will be not so much a break from what has been but a a redemptive continuation of it, a new heaven and a new earth, where our personality isn't obliterated, it comes into fulfillment. The people that God has always made us to be, fully expressed in his presence, where it's all about him, in a place with no rejection, no shame, no injustice, but perpetual ecstatic bliss in the presence of the kindest person ever. It's wonderful. Christianity is just amazing. It's amazing. And so I encourage each one of us tonight that if we've not invited Jesus to be our friend, either through ignorance, we didn't even know that was an option. I didn't know that was what Christianity was about. Or because we've turned our back and we've gone a different way. This evening we can say, God, Jesus, I want you to be my friend. We can say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Come and live in my heart. I want to be your friend forever. And he will do that. Why don't we stand? If you, if you mind standing with me. It's our practice here. You know, if you come normally, this is, you know, nothing new. But when when we hear someone preach at the front of church, someone speak like I've just done, we like to give space for for people to just respond to God. You know, we call that prayer, don't we? But it's not prayer as maybe you would think of prayer. It's, it's, It's kind of a waiting kind of a prayer. It's less about what we say and more about us just becoming aware that God is talking to us that he is with us, that he wants us to know him. And so we're gonna ask God to just come and speak to us this evening, that he would make his friendship known to us, that he would fill us with his Holy Spirit, that we would know his comfort, we would know his peace. We would know his power to live the kind of lives he wants us to live, to be the kind of friends he wants us to be. And so uh, the band might start playing in the background, uh, but I'm going to just invite God to come and just show up and, and meet with each one of us. So sometimes it helps to close your eyes just to concentrate, sometimes people put their hands out. Again, when, you, when, you want, when you're about to receive a gift, you put your hands out to receive the gift and it's like saying, Jesus, I want to receive the gift of you this evening and what you're wanting to do in my life. And so, Father, we just thank you for this evening, we thank you for your presence with us already. And Lord, in this holy moment, Lord, let heaven invade the earth, let your presence fill this place, and not only this place, but our hearts, our lives. Father, we ask through Jesus that you would fill us with your spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Let's just wait in the quiet for a moment as God starts ministering to each one of us. felt the Holy Spirit remind me of a verse in the Bible that says um, that when we wait on the Lord, he renews our strength. And the Bible talks about God as a God who, who, who ministers to our needs, and that includes just giving us strength when we're weak. Maybe we're emotionally fraught, maybe we're just knackered from stress or busyness, or maybe we're sick, maybe we have some things that are wrong, health conditions. But the Holy Spirit is wanting to give you strength. So there's nothing you have to do. You don't have to earn what he's going to do. Just by faith say, okay God, I need some strength, I'm up for that. And just allow the Holy Spirit to just strengthen you. To strengthen your body if your body is weak and you need strength. Physical strength. But also perhaps emotionally, spiritually, allow his strength to come in. slightly embarrassing but I'm going to say it anyway sometimes God reminds me of things that aren't necessarily in the Bible they're kind of um, songs or things from films and things and again I'm just reminded of a Jason Donovan track just don't, don't judge me but there's a, one, of the, one of his early numbers, a famous one where he's saying too many broken hearts in the world too many dreams have been broken into too many broken hearts in the world but I won't give up the fight for you and I feel that God wants us to know wherever we are even if we're broken hearted, God will not give up the fight for you. We might be broken hearted. God will not give up the fight for you. He has your back. His battles, your battles are his battles. When we surrender to Jesus, our battles become his battles. And he goes to war on our behalf. He fights for us. He loves us. What we also tend to do when we, when we meet and we, we invite God to speak to us is that the person at the front will, will say certain things, give invitations to, to people to come forward for prayer. And there'll be people on the prayer ministry team who are at the front who will just pray for you. So if you respond to any of these things and come forward, you can just you know, stand there and just allow people to stand alongside you and pray with you. So I'd like to invite certain people to come forward. I'd like us all to keep engaging, don't disconnect. You know, engage with God where you are but it might be you feel a compulsion hopefully from God not manipulation, I don't want you to come if you don't want to but to come forward because God wants to meet with you powerfully this evening if you've never invited Jesus to be your friend before and you're thinking tonight I've had enough of everything else frankly nothing else is really doing it for me and yeah I have come to the end of myself and I need, and I need God's help and I want him to be my friend. Actually, that sounds great. If there is a God and he's really nice, I'm up for being his friend. All right, I'm up for it. I'd like to encourage you to come forward and, and, and someone can pray with you to receive Jesus as your friend, to invite the God of heaven to come and live in your heart. Also, when I spoke about um, this old family friend who, who came and my house became like a, a safe place, a refuge place for a, for a few days, I feel that there are some people here who have some stuff going on, some really hard stuff, and you need a safe place. And I feel that this evening provides us with a safe refuge. My front room for this family friend, tonight can be the front of this church with people praying for you. They're not gonna judge you. They're just gonna stand by you and God is not gonna judge us. He's a safe place. If you just need a safe place, no judgment, where you can be heard and you can just surrender. I'd like you to do a very courageous thing, come forward and allow God to minister to you, that he would be a safe place this morning, this evening. And thirdly, we've been talking a lot about what it is to be a good friend. And perhaps when I've been talking, you've been thinking about certain people. Perhaps God's put a particular friend on your heart. And maybe you're thinking, oh, you know, again, no condemnation. But maybe you're thinking, oh, I haven't been in touch with that person for a while. Or maybe I even let that person down a little bit. But they're really in your mind now and you're thinking, I really want to be a good friend to that person. And you think, I need wisdom to know how to do that. Maybe i have not rung them in a while and I need to have coffee with them or something. And you want God's help for that. So coming to the front is like a way of saying, All Right, God, I'm serious about this. You know, I'm not going to go back on this if I'm coming out to get prayed for. You know, God, I'm just picturing this person before you. Ask for wisdom to be a friend to this person in this time. Lord, who is it you want me to be a friend to this week and at this time in my life? any of those things apply to you, to Jesus to be your friend, that you need a safe place that Jesus can minister to you tonight. And if you want power to be a godly, true friend, the kind of friend we've been reading about in Proverbs, can I encourage you to come? Don't, don't wait, just, just come. Come forward and uh, we'd love to pray with you. If prayer ministry team wants to come at the same time, but if you're there, don't, don't waver or sit on the fence, just come, just come. Receive, receive the prayer, receive the blessing of God as he wants to come alongside you. If you know that you know that you know that you wanna invite Jesus into your heart tonight, come. It's the most powerful thing that you can do. But also don't take home some of the baggage and the pain that you just, you, you know the stuff you'd share with your truest friend? Jesus wants to be that truest friend tonight. Come forward and just lay it before him. And prayer people, all they're gonna do is just bless what God is doing as you allow him to minister. So if you guys wanna start playing, continue to worship but but come don't don't wait for others just just come